So today we are talking about being bozos on the bus. A while back, like last week sometime, I was doing a honeydew run, you know, where I had a list of things I had to pick up from the store. And I prefer, if the list is more than 10 items, I usually go to Walmart because I'm cheap and they usually have what I need. So I, uh, I'm always kind of perplexed at that because it takes the exact same amount of time for me to get to the Walmart in Whitehall as it does to the one on Henry. So it just depends, you know, but I, this particular day I was at the one on Henry and I got everything I needed right away and it was a good thing. And I uh, thought, well, you know, I'm just going to stop and grab some burgers so I don't have to cook tonight. You know, I'm just going to stop at Burger King and, and see what happens. So I did. I stopped at the Burger King in downtown Muskegon. And that's, you know, I've been there several times before, kind of like that, you know. I walk in there, and there's a young man with two young women with him, and the young man is obviously inebriated. He's swaying kind of funny, you know, and all these things. And as soon as he sees me, he goes, I know you. And I, you know, I didn't know. He goes, you're famous. You're that Star Wars guy. <laughs> and, you know, so that was George Lucas. So I had to look up what does George Lucas look like. He doesn't look at all like me, does he? See, I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I, you know, he also did the Indiana Jones thing, and I like the Indiana Jones series, so. I, did, I, I just did a little bit of research on George Lucas and uh, found out his net worth is $5 billion. So uh, he's not at all like me. <laughs> but what do the stoned guy and George Lucas and I have in common? Think about that. What do we have in common? And that fits in what I want to talk about today is that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And this is something I've been teaching my, almost my entire time as a pastor. And I'm not going to compromise on that, ever. You know, I say we are all equal at the foot of the cross no matter what. As far as political views go, it doesn't matter if you, have, if you agree with me or if you're wrong. You're still welcome at the foot of the cross. Your sexual orientation, whatever it is, you're still welcome at the foot of the cross. Your religion or lack of it, you're still welcome at the foot of the cross. Your marital status, whether you're divorced or single or widowed or cohabitating or married, you're still equal at the foot of the cross. And anything else. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. I've taught this for a lot of years. And there's, a, actually it was the majority in the Reformed Church. And many other churches have said to me, because of this belief, you're a liberal. Well, folks, if that is your definition of a liberal... I am not merely a liberal. I am a flaming liberal. And I want you all to be too. 
because I'm just trying to be biblical. And if you condense the scriptures down, that's what it says. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Now, obviously, I've been influenced in this belief by things outside of the Bible, too. I've experienced rejection by the Reformed Church. I was nearly ousted by the Reformed Church for getting a divorce in the 80s. And that was not fun. But the church often shoots its wounded. We just do that, you know, and that's not right. And it's definitely not the way of Jesus. So since then, I've done everything I can to try to make the church into a place that is accepting of everyone. Uh, you know, many years ago, I made a proposal here at Laketon Bethel to see if, how it would be received, and you all received it. And I'm grateful for it. It's this core value A, the first core value that we have that says that everyone, regardless who they are, what they've done or what they're doing will be accepted here. Lake and Bethel will be a safe place to explore your relationship with Jesus. It's on the cover of every bulletin. It's on the cover of our website. It is an important thing. And at the consistory meeting this Thursday night, for those of you who just got selected, it's going to be up for grabs again. I'm going to ask, as I do every year, do you still affirm these core values? And if you ever say no, I don't know what I'm going to do. But um, they have affirmed this for probably 20 years now. See, we are serious about this. Now, we blow it from time to time. We make mistakes. But we're serious about this. It's a goal. You know, the old liturgy of the Reformed Church with the profession of faith, the prequel to membership, says... Well, the first question is, do you admit that you're a sinner and in need of salvation? And I think that's a very important question. Because if the Reformed Church is really doing what it's supposed to do, it only admits people who admit they're sinners. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's equal foot across. But when you admit it, you're taking a big step towards that salvation. When you admit you're... You know, so that, that just means that, yeah, you come to Lake and Bethel because everybody's a sinner here. And that's a good thing. It's good to know that. So Paul teaches this as the basic tenet of salvation. That everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. And he's done that many times. He does that many times. Today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 from the paraphrase called the message. And it's an important thing. He says this. And before I get into this, I just want to do a little intro to Paul. You know, he was raised to think he was better than everybody else. He was a Jew and, and living in a country dominated by the Romans. And the Jews believed they were vastly superior to those pagan Romans. And then he was not only a Jew, he was a Pharisee, which was the elite religious class of Judaism. So, you know, he walked around with his nose in the air until he met Jesus. And then he started teaching things like this. He says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, 
all of us in the same boat. All of us are sinners. And we all know this is true. We're all bozos on the bus. I uh, took way too much Greek because I wanted to be able to use the, you know, to translate the New Testament. And bozo in modern Greek is actually a word for a clown. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's not in New Testament Greek. But when we were in a Greek class, we were clowning around and we actually invented a word called parabozo, which means to clown around. And we thought we were so smart for doing that. But that's basically how we look at ourselves. We're clowning around all the time. You know, Paul was Jewish and educated in Jewish theology. And he understand he understood some things that we quite often miss. When the Jews thought of that day, the Hebrew thought of that day was that sin is different, you know, than what we think it is. You know, when I was a student at Oral Roberts University, sin was defined as looking at a Playboy magazine or something like that. But to a Hebrew person at the time of Jesus, sin was considered foolish and destructive behavior. A behavior that leads to suffering and death. And so Paul was saying, we're all foolish. (coughs) Excuse me, we're all foolish. But his main point is that we're all sinners. And then he explains this a little further, and I really like how he does this. He says, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. I like the, the way this is worded, and I think it accurately reflects Paul's intention. It's basically saying that God can pull the plug on us anytime. That energy in us that breathes, that energy that makes our hearts beat, is an energy that God gives us. That life energy comes from him and he can just stop it anytime he could. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. I probably would have. I'm not that patient. You know, I composed these little talks on an iMac. Uh, there's my iMac with the dirty keyboard. And what I'm saying to you right now, if you could have real good vision, you can see it. It's on there, but, you know, this iMac is plugged into a power strip. And if I go to that power strip and flick the little red switch, the iMac dies because it isn't connected to power anymore. We're like that. We are that dependent on the source of life. And God can flick that switch anytime and shut us down. But instead of powering us off in his immense mercy and with incredible love, he has embraced us as Paul says, made us alive in Christ. And he did this on his own, with no help from us. 
He saved us. We don't save ourselves. So then he concludes this part with this statement. Now God has us where he wants us. All the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. See, salvation is God's idea. And he does all the heavy lifting. All we do is trust him to do it. It's all a gift. As Paul goes on and says this, we don't play the major role, and we don't. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. You can't do a thing to save yourself. Not a thing. Nothing. You don't have that power. God does all the saving. And then it goes on like this. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we'd better be doing. See, he saves us and then he lets us participate in the salvation of the world. He wants us to be his people. A people who report for duty. Reporting for duty out of gratitude. So, what this tells me about Paul, very simply, is that we're all bozos on this bus. We can only trust him to do the saving. So that means for you and me, we need to take our seat on the bus and trust the driver to take us to salvation. Any bozo can get on the bus. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, get on the bus, take your seat, and trust the driver without judging the other bozos because we're all bozos. That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. That young man who thought I was famous at Burger King the other day, that was really kind of a strange incident for me, you know. I know who you are. And I knew I couldn't convince him of anything, so I just went, shh. I let him think I was George Lucas, you know. But the inebriated guy in Burger King is a bozo. And George Lucas is a bozo. And I'm a bozo. And we're all equal at the foot of the cross. There's no exceptions to that. Now, Muskegon needs a community of grace that teaches this. We need it sorely. Muskegon needs it. We can give it to Muskegon. So let's keep Lake and Bethel on the path of becoming that community. And the three of you who just got elected deacon, I'm going to charge you with this. To keep Lake and Bethel on this path, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. 
you're not going to like me 12 months from now at all. But I'm going to push hard, especially this year, I think harder than I've ever pushed. And we're going to keep that direction going. You up for that? Doesn't matter, you're stuck. <laughs> no, we want you to do that. Heather, I saw you nodding too, you know. Elder Heather. You're going to have to push for this thing. We're going to do it. But the thing is, Muskegon needs this community, community of grace. We've got tons of churches all around us ready to point the finger at everybody for being sinners. We say, yeah, we're sinners. We wear that badge with pride because we're redeemed. And we know that everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. So let's be the community that accepts. Let's be the community that lets everybody else know that God loves them extravagantly. Let's accept everyone without judgment. After all, we're all just bozos on this bus. So let's do that. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we haven't been very accepted in the past, and the Reformed Church, like many denominations, has a history of condemning and rejecting the people you love. Horrible when you think about it. But we've been guilty of it, and today we repent and move forward. Getting back down to the very basics to which you have called us to demonstrate your great love to this world. So let us be the folks who are Christians showing love without judgment. Amen. And uh, let's receive the Lord's benediction. And now in whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Amen. We'll see you next week. And just a reminder, do your friends and uh, neighbors a uh, favor and invite them to come along with you to church next Sunday.